This is the Bouquet Toss Podcast, brought to you by the Budget Savvy Bride. We're here to help you figure out what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. Join founder Jessica Bishop and editor Sari Wienerman as we unpack wedding trends and traditions to help you plan a wedding that feels authentic to you. So before you get cold feet, let's dive right in. Welcome back to the Bouquet Toss Podcast. We are so excited to be kicking off season two, where we're gonna unpack all sorts of wedding traditions and trends to help you decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. On season one, we focused on traditions. And in season two, we're going to explore some of the most popular wedding trends that have stemmed out of those traditions. We will also be introducing you to some guest experts who can help us dive deep into these subjects to share their advice, insights, creative suggestions, and alternatives to help you save money. It's going to be great. So today's topic is a juicy one. We're going to talk about the trend of the wedding loan. Dun, dun, dun. dun. (laughs) (laughs) Jess, I know you feel pretty strongly about this. So do you want to take it away? I do. Absolutely. I think I'm 100% against taking on debt for a wedding. And so wedding loans are a big no for me, but I'm excited to chat more about this today um, with our special guest. Taking on debt to pay for a wedding was apparently on a pretty upward trend pre-pandemic. Several media outlets were reporting an increase in wedding loans taken on by couples in order to have that dream wedding day. Of course, we know things have changed a bit. But we thought it would be really great to talk about this with a bona fide money expert, right? She's going to set us straight. So who better to discuss all of this touchy money stuff with than our friend Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. Hey, thanks for having me on. Not only do I write about money, but I also just got married like two years ago. So this is all very much top of mind still for me. Yeah, so we actually totally mentioned you on an episode of season one. We did. Um, We were talking about engagement rings, which we definitely have to touch on this a little bit to get some of that spicy detail right from you. Let's just say a financial decision was involved in the keeping or not of an engagement ring, which is the bossest move, is bossest a word? (laughs) Such a boss move. We love it. I think, Jess, you should give us a little bit of an intro to Stephanie. Yes, I wanted to give like an epic intro to Stephanie because I just think there's so much about her that you guys need to know who are listening. So Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez is a nationally recognized millennial money expert and author of The Broke and Beautiful Life. She is a prolific writer covering women, money, power, and ambition, and her work and advice has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, CNBC, USA Today, Cosmo, like, could we go on? Like, I could go on. (laughs) She has also appeared on ABC News, Yahoo Finance, Fox & Friends, Fox Business, Bloomberg, everywhere. You've probably seen her on TV. She is the host of Real Simple Magazine's upcoming podcast, Money Confidential, which will also explore lots of juicy, sometimes uncomfortable, but very necessary money topics that I encourage all of you to give a listen to when it comes out. And 
as if that's not enough, she's also the founder of Statement Cards, which is this amazing line of greeting cards that celebrates all sorts of fabulous milestones beyond marriage and motherhood. And she's also the co-founder of the Statement Event, dedicated to connecting the dots between gender equity and financial power. She's basically like an octuple threat. Is that is that even a word? And she's also a former Upper West Side neighbor of mine, as well as just an all around great person. So we're super excited to have you, Steph. That might be the nicest intro I've ever heard. And I'm like, who is that person? Because I want to be them and I don't feel like them. Oh, girl, that is you. Like, we're celebrating it. Oh, my gosh. I'm just like, what's happening today? Can I get through today? But thank you for making me feel good. Oh, my gosh. That was the goal. That was the goal. We're so, so excited to have you. And for you to share some of your money insights, because money is tough. It's a tricky subject, especially like when it comes to wedding planning right? It's like all of the things that make money hard, which is like all the parts that we don't talk about, which is that it's emotional, that we connect it to our identity, that we connect it to our worth, that we connect it to how people perceive us. Like, can you think of a more on display event of all that insecurity than your wedding day and how expensive that is? I think like sometimes we really beat ourselves up because we feel like we don't have the answers or we feel insecure about our money and we should know better or we should be able to do this. But I think the first step in all of this is just acknowledging that the is hard. It's hard to really grapple with the fact that there's all this pressure, there's all of this tradition, there's all these expectations that you're weighing against with the reality of financial circumstances, which to be honest, for most people is living paycheck to paycheck, still paying off student loans, maybe having credit card debt. So it's like, okay, on top of that, I'm going to shoulder this really expensive thing that has all of these other pressures involved with it. I mean, yeah, it's difficult. That said, there are different ways of approaching it that can kind of like exacerbate your stress. And there are ways that can kind of help diffuse it. And hopefully we can offer some ideas around that today. Absolutely. That was so well said. And I think that's something we often don't talk about enough in terms of wedding planning, because let's be real, regardless of how long you've been with your partner, and you may have gone through a lot of these financial things before. I know on the Budget Savvy Bride, we do try to cover a lot of relationship money talk because that's hard to do. But with your wedding, that's really kicking you off into the beginning of your life together, where there's going to be even more financial stuff coming your way. As you go every year, there's like more to think about, more to deal with financially. And so this for a lot of couples ends up being the biggest money conversation that they've had thus far. It's like you get engaged and you got to have the conversation. It's such a good point. A number of things that you said there. One is that a wedding because of the expense really kind of forces the urgency around having conversations about money with your partner. And it's also like a very clear expression of your values. So like if somebody has an imagining of like a 150 person wedding that is like very fancy and all this and the other person's like, I just want to go to City Hall or like go to a park afterwards, whatever. That's not just a discussion around money. That's also a discussion around how do we use our money to live in alignment with our values. And if we can't bridge that negotiation and that gap in our vision for our wedding and how we're planning for it financially, it's going to be really hard for us to negotiate the rest of our lives. So I think that's a really great point. And then the second point that you kind of bring up here is that 
my biggest piece of wedding planning advice is that to remember your wedding is the beginning of your marriage and not the culmination of it. Because I think what happens is like all roads lead to the wedding. So that really becomes a framework for just spending all the money because like that's what it's for. If the wedding is the end, why wouldn't you spend all your money? But the wedding's the beginning. You don't want to start your marriage in debt. You don't want to start your marriage with zero savings. You probably have a lot you want to do with your partner, whether it's buying a house or starting a family or traveling the world or supporting each other in business ventures or career ventures. So I always tell people, put your wedding in context of the life that you want to be living with your partner that you're just starting out on. And remember that just like the lunch you order tomorrow is a decision within the context of your finances for the rest of the year and the rest of your life. So is your wedding. And it's not to downplay it, right? It's not to say that your lunch and your wedding are equivalently important, but it's just to say like, yeah, some things are more important than others. But at the end of the day, it's still a decision that needs to be made financially within the context of everything else that you want to do. Oh my gosh. If I could give a standing ovation over here, like on the other end of the mic. Ah, that was so well said. And you touched on so many like just important points, I think, for everyone to consider. You kind of gave the exact segue point that I wanted to make, which is that it's basically become one of these unspoken traditions, like a lot of the other wedding traditions that we've discussed, that you will drop a huge amount of money on your wedding. We have to stop and say, where did that come from? Why is that the case? And how does that align with my values? And that's literally what we've done with every one of these other traditions. And that's exactly what we want to do with this. The big decision of going into debt for your wedding, it's become something that a lot of people have been like, oh, well, this is what people do. This is like how you achieve that dream that has been instilled into me my whole life of this is what the wedding looks like. And this is all the things that you must have. But there's no rules. If that does not align with you and if that does not align financially with your situation, really, what's the point? Well, I also think like in some ways, the pandemic is kind of a really great illustration of resetting and and rethinking what the rule book is. Yeah, you have a lot of people doing micro weddings. You have people just doing things online or going to City Hall. And I don't think, yeah, okay, we should do that forever. I, I had a pretty big wedding and I loved it. That said, I do think that it's just kind of a really great opportunity to really show us what a wedding is. (laughs) <laughs> and it is a, it is like a legal agreement, rather a marriage, like a marriage is a legal agreement. And there's not a lot you need to actually do that. So everything else is just a bonus. And then, yeah, you want to build up your bonuses from there. Like, great. If you can have your family there, that's a huge bonus. If you can feed them and wind them and dine them, that's a bonus. But if you kind of reset from what do I actually need to get married and understanding of that being as something as small as what we're seeing this year with this micro wedding trend in the pandemic, then it feels, I think, a lot easier to start planning and financially planning with the add-ons as bonuses rather than starting from this preconception of what a wedding looks like being this, you know, several hundred thousand dollar affair because of that's what we see in the movies and then thinking of everything else as cutting back. Damn. (laughs) That is the best reframe. I want to print that on like a tote bag. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was a little it was a little verbose but yeah I love that because even just the way that Jess has built budget savvy bride is exactly that it's not supposed to be a thing where you take away from what you want mm-hmm. it's that you build from what you want making you know putting your budget towards those things first exactly so that's how we should all be thinking about planning a wedding Yeah. And I think it comes back to my engagement ring story, right? So the short version of it is my husband gave me an engagement ring, which to be fair, he did not finance. So it was paid in full. He could afford it. I just asked him like, you know, is, is this something that you really value me having? Because if not, I think we could probably use this money to pay for our wedding, to travel together, to start our marriage together. And I think I would value those things more. And if you're in alignment with that, then I think that I should return the ring and that's how we should use the money. And he was like, yeah, no problem. So we got a full refund, but that was just an example of something where it was like, okay, we've all kind of accepted that the engagement ring is this and this is how much it should cost. But taking a step back to say, not that I don't care about any kind of wedding things, but I don't necessarily care about that one. So how can I use that money now? Or we rather, because we're now a couple moving forward together. How can we use that money now to do the things that are most in alignment with our values? And for us, it was like getting married in New York City, which is not cost effective, but that was more in alignment with our values than me having an engagement ring. Absolutely. I think it's such a beautiful example of what it can look like for couples to have these conversations. I'm sure like part of you probably felt a little bit nervous about bringing that up to him. You don't want to like make him think that you didn't love the ring or anything like that, right? Like how was having that conversation? I will say that I think it really helps that I've kind of set a precedent for talking about money in a really honest way since our first date which at that point we'd been dating for like seven years. And I remember when he initially asked me out, he said, you know, like, what do you want to do? He offered a few ideas. And I said, you know, I don't really care what we do as long as it's cheap because I'm on a budget. And what that was, was like, it wasn't me saying like, what's your income and credit score and let's compare. But it was me saying like, I know money touches everything. And I talk about that piece of the conversation in everything I do. And so because that we've been kind of operating this way in our relationship already for years and years and years, by the time we talked about something as major as a wedding, an engagement ring, et cetera, like it just of course, it's part of the conversation. So I have that unfair advantage of being like, okay, this isn't totally crazy. That said, if someone doesn't have that advantage, what I always like to say is why don't you and your partner take the opportunity of coming to an agreement that you're going to share the rest of your life together or, or, you know, the next few years of your life together, whatever you do and say like, what are the things we want in the next five years? And then you can kind of reverse engineer your way back to the decision of how much money is going to get spent on things like a ring and wedding, et cetera. Because again, it it puts the wedding and all of the accoutrements of a wedding (laughs) into context. And it gives you a place to bring the conversation around what you're trying to achieve rather than what you're trying to say no to. Totally. Yeah, we completely agree, you know, starting from making room for what you want rather than having to make room by taking away what you don't. 
I think that's the way we would love everyone to think about it. But we know that budgets are different for everybody, right? So the amount of money people have to work with at all is going to be very different. But so we have some numbers here that we've pulled their averages, we always say take them with a grain of salt because they are exactly that, their averages, but just some stats about like financing a wedding that we think are important to share. Yeah, so we gathered some interesting data about wedding loans because as Sari mentioned earlier, there's been, or there was kind of like an upward trajectory of couples taking out these loans to help finance their wedding, which to me, I was just absolutely horrified to hear about this just because we really believe in planning a wedding without debt so you can start your marriage off on like solid financial footing, right? So according to an article from the Washington Post, Couples apparently borrow on average $16,000 to help fund their wedding and pay it off within three years. The interest rates on these loans range from between 7 to 18%. So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> a really powerful data point, right? If you're thinking about, imagine adding a line item to your wedding budget that's just interest. And it's several thousand dollars. That's a really powerful way to be like, oh, this is actually what it costs me to do this. And am I willing to pay that cost? I don't know. Like maybe some people are willing. I'm not. I'm very much not pro financing weddings. I don't even like to pay for shipping when I order something online. There's no way I want to pay interest on something. (laughs) That's hysterical. And Such a good point. I love the way that you said it. This would be like actually adding an entire other line item for just interest. Whoa. Yeah. Right. Because like, and then if you did that, you like, let's say you ran the numbers, you ran the math and you put it into your budget and on a list with everything else, like your dress or flowers or venue. I think if you saw how much that interest alone was going to cost you up against something like what your dress budget is or what your budget for like the things you actually kind of care about, it would really just kind of put it into context for you. And I think a lot of the decisions around financing get really complicated because of those things we talked about earlier, because it is so emotional. Weddings are connected to our family expectations, our identities, our values, right? And because that's so cloudy, we don't really have the same ability to kind of like engage our rational brain in thinking about interest as a line item. We just sign up because it's like, okay, I need the money to please my parents (laughs) and to meet their expectations or please my partner or whatever it is. And I just want to make this problem go away. And so like, if it costs me this, it costs me this. And I think that's just kind of a slippery slope, especially when you're going to be paying for that for would we say average is three years? Right. I mean, that's that's a long time, especially because it's not just the three years that you're paying off that loan. It's the three years you're prioritizing that over trying to become debt free on your student loans, over trying to build a down payment on a house, over saving up to start a family, which is already time constricted, right? Like the cost is not just the interest rate. It's so much more when you actually put it into context of what that means for your life. And I think like the more we can understand that, the easier it is for us to kind of just acknowledge what's or or make decisions around what's actually worth it. 
I also like to say that, you know, when you take on debt to pay for your wedding, it's basically like delaying any future goals and plans that you have in mind for your future after the big day, like you were saying. And so it's like, you really have to think, if I'm going to spend more than I can realistically afford on this wedding, then that means I'm delaying some other bigger, more important life goal or plan for when you guys are actually married. Hey, Savvies, don't worry. This music doesn't mean the episode is over. We just need to take a brief moment to tell you about something we love. If you want to get epic wedding flowers without taking out an epic wedding loan, listen up. If you're planning a wedding, you've probably already realized that fresh flowers can be pretty expensive. That's why we absolutely love Something Borrowed Blooms, the rent and return floral boutique that allows you to borrow your wedding flowers. Something Borrowed Blooms uses high quality silk florals and greenery to create stunning arrangements for your wedding. Everything from tiny boutonnieres to bouquets, centerpieces, and more. The best part? You'll save over 70% compared to the cost of using fresh flowers from a traditional florist. So savvy! And the process is super simple. You place your order, it arrives on your doorstep the week of your wedding, you'll pull out your blooms, use and enjoy them, then put them right back in the same boxes and send them on their merry way. So easy. And of course, we have an exclusive offer just for you. Use code BUDGETSAVVY on any wedding order over $65 and you'll get a free centerpiece rental included. So great. Visit somethingborrowedblooms.com to view their stunning silk flower collections today. Yeah, and Stephanie, you bring up such a good point about the stress from family, which is something Jess and I have talked about so much on the podcast and just like in general when it comes to weddings. And I think what's important to just actually say out loud is that when your parents were getting married and going through this whole process, they weren't taking out student loans. We're the generation that has been dealing with that already. So on top of that, and I, and maybe, I mean, I guess you could speak to this way more, but I guess maybe that idea of like taking out loans was completely normalized. I think that for what I would say, like looking at like friends around me and people my age, it feels like our parents got married loan free, right? And whether, you know, this brings up like a lot of other things in terms of like wealth disparity and wealth inherited and things like that, which we won't get into right now, but for the majority of, of us, our parents were able to do that, whether it was from money from their parents, whatever it was. But then if they had to take a loan out, it was on their house. It was like the next thing because that's where like the housing market in our country went. You know, that's the thing that people ended up taking loans out for. And then it trickled down to us having to take loans out for school and houses and now weddings. I mean, we're in this place where our, you know, millennials are hit so crazily with financial uh, barriers and decisions and everything. So I just love the idea of taking the wedding out of that whole bucket of like craziness that we're already dealing with, because I'm going to cite you, you said this in, in a Washington Post article, but there's nothing necessary about an expensive wedding. Everything about weddings is discretionary aside from what you pay the county clerk. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was trying to articulate before. It's like, what do you need to get married? Okay. You need to get a marriage license. Everything else is just like extra. It's icing on the cake. Yeah. And I like icing. I'm not going to say we shouldn't have icing, but like if it's icing, I'm not going to finance it. 
That's totally. the key. We love we we love cake too. We love to share every beautiful cake out there. But if you have to finance your cake and then you're just going to eat it and it's going to be gone, like doesn't make sense. So I want to share a couple other facts that we found from these articles that we referenced. The percentage of couples who are taking on debt these days is around 33%, according to a survey by LendEDU. And this one was especially shocking to me, you guys. The debt effects of COVID on weddings and on couples who were planning a wedding during 2020. 225,000 couples owe a collective $3.7 billion, billion with a B, for weddings that did not happen in 2020. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that just I mean, like that, soul this crushing? is a case for like, yeah, this is a case for like really reading your vendor contracts, which again is just an example of something that we don't really think about when we're talking about weddings. But like, these are all legal agreements, right? At the end of the day, it's a weddings are a business. <laughs> I mean, marriage is a legal agreement. I know it's not romantic, but it is what it is. And I don't think that there's an issue with denying that. Like, it is what it is. It doesn't mean it can't still be special. But let's not let specialness stand in the way or cloud our judgment of the fact that we are signing an agreement. And you need to treat that with due diligence because it is a legal thing and it can cost you money. And even if it's for something like a cake, which we don't think of as something that is like a, a hard and fast contract at the end of the day, if like you're in the hole with interest for that cake, it matters. So I think it's just all about bringing as much practicality and due diligence to the money stuff and the legal stuff that is wedding planning as we do to the values, the family expectations, the traditions and the things we love. Can you think of any plus sides maybe to financing a wedding through a loan? I mean, I think we've gone really deep into <laughs> into the cons, right? Yeah. But I still think there's a lot of people out there who, if they are just kind of getting in touch with their money talk with themselves, with their partner, they've already gotten to this place and they've already been shaped by all of these ideas of what they think they want their wedding to be. Like, why do you think it became so popular? So... I shared a little bit that like I didn't have a super cheap wedding, so it's really but I paid for it in cash. And I, I do want to acknowledge one, the fact that I already had that money in savings is like an enormous privilege that not everyone has. Right. My husband didn't go to college, so there wasn't a big student loan bill. We were 33 when we got married. That gave us a lot of time to have a fight, like get our money in order and build savings and get to a place where we could put that money aside. So it was just cold, hard facts, a lot easier for us to drop that kind of cash because we had it on hand. And I understand that like, if you're not in that financial position, it is difficult. So like, I just want to start again by saying that because I I know it's hard, but I, I will say, I think one of the appeals of wedding loans is that one, a lot of wedding costs you have to pay up front, like deposits, especially around big things like venues and photographers and all that. And that's just like a large chunk of cash all at once. And the idea the sell of the loan is like, oh, well, like in a year's time, of course, I'll be able to pay this all back. 
And, you know, it just winds up being a way to manage your cash flow. And that's like a very seductive idea because like we we are always over optimistic about where we're going to be in our financial futures. But the reality is it to Jess's data points before, like it takes three years to pay these things back on average. And if we kind of see how much that costs us in interest, realistically, like, mm, well, maybe we'll rethink our decision. But I think at the beginning, when we're making those decisions, we're just like, okay, this is just a tool for me to pay this right now, lock in the date, and then I can pay it all back. And I also think that's the other thing with weddings is like, there is an urgency around it. And there is a pressure. Like if I don't get this Saturday, two years from now, I won't be able to get this venue for three years. So like, I just need a solution now so that I can lock in the date. And then a loan just becomes a practical step for kind of meeting the need of that urgency. And it's really hard to detach from that, which is already an emotional decision. And it's art. And now it's under time pressure. So you're just like, if I make the decision now, I can figure out the money part later, which is just, again, a really slippery slope. I think the other thing with wedding loans and why they've become popular and to be clear, these are personal loans that have been marketed as wedding loans, which is so predatory um, like, in itself, like, isn't oh, it? <laughs> Right, right. So like, if you go to the bank, and you're like, I want a wedding loan, they might be like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> what they're what you're talking about is getting a personal loan. And yes, to Jess's point, it's a very effective marketing tool, because it's like, okay, it's a little predatory, because you're like, I will give you the wedding of your dreams. Dream and day. it's going to cost you this much money in interest. Right. But I think one of the reasons, again, it became popular is because personal loans do have a lower interest rate generally on average than credit cards. So if you're thinking about like financing your wedding with a credit card versus financing your wedding with a personal loan, the idea is, okay, well, this is a cheaper way of financing rather than kind of questioning whether we should be financing at all. Wow. I love that you brought that up. I didn't know that. And I think that makes so much sense as to why people would even make that decision. It, it maybe even feels like a money conscious decision right. to say personal loan over credit card, which is such an interesting thing. And I think it's definitely worth us noting because we don't want to imagine that somebody in this position is is being reckless or is, you know, doing something that's like a total bad idea. It makes so much sense, especially this predatory type of marketing that you both mentioned. When you can do something like that and sort of satisfy all of these other factors, yeah, it makes sense. And I, I certainly think there's a way to do it as long as your after wedding money habits are really on point. This is definitely where following the work that Stephanie does would be really helpful for you because taking on a loan is not just the act of that loan. It's also taking on all of the future necessary habits and steps and, and ways of learning about your money and, and ways to deal with your cash flow post-wedding that is really going to be then important. I do still want to touch a little bit on that credit card stuff um, mm -hmm. now that I'm a little bit enlightened, but I still think, you know, we've talked about a little bit more when it comes to honeymoons because there's so much with travel hacking that can happen. Do you think there's stuff out there in terms of credit cards where maybe opening like a specific card ends up being really good if you then charge a lot of your wedding finances to it and you build up points and then, yeah, can you kind of talk about that? So I will be the first to say that I love using my credit cards. One, I like that it helps me build credit. Two, I love using points. Like I put all of my wedding stuff 
on my credit card and then I use the points to like buy my plane ticket to to Sydney, Australia for our honeymoon, right? I I spent four weeks in Australia and New Zealand in the nick of time, by the way, because it was it was January 2020. That worked out really well. That said, my husband took off four weeks of work right before getting laid off for a year. So, you know, <laughs> pros and cons. But my point being that even though I used my credit card for paying for all my wedding stuff, I also paid my balance in full each month. And that is a very different position to be using a credit card in than using a credit card because you literally do not have the money to pay off the balance. And that's where I really caution against it. I will say there are some exceptions that I make. Generally, I use these exceptions for necessary expenses. First of all, I don't think shame around debt is very helpful. I think we should be able to make more conscious decisions about taking on debt, and that's really important to have this discussion. But I think beating yourself up over the fact that you're in debt isn't helpful. So I wanna say that as a precursor. But the other part of it is like, generally speaking, I don't recommend using a credit card for anything that you do not need. If you need it for paying for medical care, that's a time where I'd be like, yeah, if you need to use a credit card to cover that cost and you can't pay the balance off in full, yes, use the credit card. You need the medical care. You have to take care of yourself. A wedding is hard to make that case for. I think I could maybe, maybe, maybe be convinced if you're talking about a credit card that has some kind of like introductory offer where there's 0% interest for 18 months, right? And then that gives you the flexibility to maybe put some expenses that you can't afford to pay off immediately on the credit card and you can make minimum payments without accruing interest. And then as long as you, one, keep up with the minimum payments, because if you don't, they will hit you with all the penalty interest as soon as you miss a payment. And two, you can pay off the full balance before the end of the introductory 0% APR period. Then like, yeah, that is a really useful tool. It's just that, again, we tend to be over optimistic about what we're going to be able to do with our money in the future. And so I really caution against doing that for your wedding unless you have a very, very clear, solid financial plan about how that's going to work out. I mean, solid financial plan and that you have literally written and now and know how you can pay for this. You know, you've already done work for something and a check is coming in next month. Even like, again, with COVID as as an example, even the idea of like, oh, well, within the next year, we will have this money because I'll have had 12 months of paychecks by then. Like, well, surprise, surprise, like my husband lost his job almost a year ago and he hasn't been able to get his job back since. So like even something like a steady paycheck isn't necessarily a guarantee a wedding that that is really honestly discretionary, like you don't absolutely need it. I think that's just a really big risk to finance if you don't have a guarantee. I totally agree. And I think that I'd be curious to know, Stephanie, like if you have any advice for couples who aren't sure how to even come up with a number that is affordable for them, do you think there's any specific formula that they should use to kind of calculate what is a responsible wedding budget if they're going to cash flow their wedding? Ooh, so... (laughs) I personally did use the Budget Savvy Bride Workbook, I'm just going to say. I didn't plant that question for you to promote me, No, you didn't. (laughs) You didn't. But I had bought the book when it came out, and I wasn't engaged yet, but I had... 
I was a fan of Jess, so I bought the book. And then lucky for me, I got engaged shortly after. So (laughs) I think what was really helpful for me with that was just, it is so difficult if you've not planned a wedding before, if you're not familiar with the industry to really have any idea of what benchmarks are. I think there's this idea of like, I'll pull a number out of thin air and I'll be able to like plan my wedding. But it's just really unrealistic if you don't really have an understanding of what the landscape actually looks like and how much things actually cost and how quickly they actually add up. So getting an understanding of the industry and having people who've been in it give you different options of breakdowns is a really helpful starting point. That said, your budget's going to be what your budget is, right? Like you can't, well, unless you finance it, you can't magically materialize more money. So it's a combination of what do I actually have in terms of money to pay for something right now? And what does a wedding that I'm thinking about actually cost? And then like, how do I start to kind of bridge the gap between the two things? Maybe approaching it with with a little bit of curiosity first and maybe like with a willingness to learn first as opposed to plan first is helpful because it's really hard to plan if you don't really have an understanding of the industry and what information you're kind of dealing with. Totally. I think that's great advice. Yeah. So actually, and Jess, I want you to take us in a deep dive of this because on the Budget Savvy Bride, Jess is brilliant and she created a system for exactly what you're saying. So you can search weddings by budget and a whole breakdown of how that budget was spent and then figure out from there, what are the things people are doing with this amount? What can I do? What are the things I want? How much did it cost? It's such a cool resource. So Jess, can you explain it a little bit more? Yeah. So Sari is talking about our real wedding section on the Budget Savvy Bride. You can find it at thebudgetsavvybride.com slash weddings. And basically it's a page with filters and you can choose different data points to sort our library of wedding features. You can search by budget, you can search by location, by color scheme if you'd like, and also by season and guest count as well, because the correlation between guest count and budget, I think is so important, which is very exciting. Basically, you can browse the results that come up when you put in these different data points and then read real interviews from couples who got married and they share their actual budget breakdowns. Stephanie's wedding is featured there. If you're curious and you want to see how she broke down that budget of a New York City wedding, you can find it on the website. We'll we'll put the link in the show notes for y'all. I think it's really powerful. It's one of the things that I think sets the Budget Savvy Bride apart in particular from a lot of the other wedding inspirational websites out there is that we really want to share the actual cost breakdowns so people can get a feel for what is actually possible with the budget that you have. In particular, we tend to focus on weddings in like the $25,000 or less range. And there's weddings that have happened anywhere in between 1,000 to, you know, elopements to all the way up to, you know, 25,000 and above some. It's a really powerful thing to be able to see what's possible with the budget that you have. And so that's been like a really, really popular feature of our website for quite some time. Yeah, it's awesome. I really love it. And I think it's super helpful. I would say that's a definite to check out when you're planning your wedding. So I'm going to bring it back to something we like to do, Stephanie, on our episodes of the Bouquet Toss, where we say, would you keep it or toss it? So in terms of taking out a loan for a wedding, what do you think? I'm going to toss it. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Right answer. (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna toss it but what I think is amazing is that you have uncovered a lot of other things to think about 
before just tossing it completely. I think that is the biggest part about, you know, with any wedding decision that we're even talking about keeping or tossing, it involves a conversation, it involves thought, it involves research, um, which is literally why we started the Bouquet Toss podcast anyway, is because we want to be able to help offer some of that to give people stuff to think about before they make the big decision to keep it or toss it. Yeah. And one other point I just wanted to make. The other thing I think the pandemic is really showing us is that one, you can do the marriage and then you can always do a party later. So uh, traditionally, a lot of the advice has been, okay, extend the engagement before you overextend your budget. But it doesn't even have to be that. You can get married now and then do your party whenever. Because, I mean, in my opinion, making a marriage work for a long time is a lot bigger accomplishment than getting engaged. <laughs> so why not make that the big party, right? The 10 year anniversary, the whatever it is. Again, totally rethinking what the standard is to just make it work for you, your values and your situation. Totally. There's been a term coined recently, I think it was by The Knot, and they're calling it, you know, the mini-money for your elopement if you do something very small and intimate that's pandemic approved. And then in a year, you have your anniversary celebration with your larger guest list that you would have wanted to have at the main event, and they're calling it the happily ever after party. <laughs> which I thought was really cute. All right. Yeah, it is cute. And like, and it does, it can be on whatever timeline you want it to be, whatever you need. I love that this is forcing us to grapple with a new framework, but what if we each did it based on our own circumstances? Then we could just pick whatever frameworks we want in the way that's not putting us in a situation where we're like, oh, I have to take on this debt right now. That's perfectly said. I think that's exactly where we should end this. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This has been such an amazing conversation. Before we head out, though, we like to do a little fun wedding fact. So I'm going to actually put both of you on the spot. I have a number here, and this number describes the average number of flowers required to decorate a church, including 10 pew ends, two main displays, and an archway at the front of the church. Okay, so this is the amount of flowers that you would need to cover all of those things. And so what I want to know is, if you have to guess, how many flowers are required to hit all of those points in the church? Jess would definitely know better than me because she's in the industry and I did almost no flowers for my wedding. I, I feel I feel ill-equipped for this, to be honest, but I'm going to just throw out a number like like 300. 1,030. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Talk I about mean, a price tag. Seriously. I feel like we need to calculate what the cost of that is as well. We do, but it's going to be different. You know, now you're getting into what kind of flower and who's arranging it and all that stuff. Right. So yeah. price tag will be so varied based on it. But like think about the sheer number that you need for this vision when we've already discussed it's pretty much just not necessary. I mean, it looks pretty. It looks great. Do it for the gram. But it's just frosting. <laughs> or, or get like a, get a filter. Get a, You know how on Zoom you can have like the <laughs> backdrops. Everyone can have their dream wedding. wedding decor with a Zoom background. Is this a business idea? <laughs> it's very <Like> budget savvy. <laughs> All right. Well, this was so much fun. Stephanie, it was great to have you. And we'll be back soon with a new episode. 
You've been listening to The Bouquet Toss, the podcast dedicated to uncovering where wedding trends and traditions come from so that you can plan your wedding your way. We're continuing the discussion in our private community. Join our supportive group of brides-to-be by heading to thebudgetsavvybride.com slash community. Now it's your turn to catch the bouquet as we toss it over to you to rate and review on your favorite podcast app. As always, stay true to you, and we look forward to chatting again soon.